0: David, thank you, worship team, as they head on down. It's um, good to have a couple new faces up here today. Matt Johnson and Evie Clawson—they're going to be helping us out in a couple weeks with some interim uh, worship leading. As uh, we have David for another week, so blessed by uh, David's leading and having him next week as well. But Matt, Evie, we're kind of getting there today just to get a feel for how we do things, and glad for them as well to offer up their time and their resources to bring us uh, excellent worship here at Bethany uh, Bethany Church. So glad you're here today as we begin and to come back to our series and wrap up uh, this mini-series we've been talking about, uh, this Traveling Through the Psalms, we've been calling it. Traveling Through the Psalms. This morning, as as I said, we we, we wrap up this short journey with one of my favorites, Psalm 130, which we read just a little while ago. Remember, these Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 to 134, are the Psalms of Ascent. They're the Psalms that were uh, possibly read or sung by pilgrims as they headed towards Jerusalem and ascended up to the city to to worship uh, at the temple as they went up and up and up and ascended. These are the songs that were on their lips, on their hearts, and and going through their minds. And today, as we look at Psalm 130, in and of itself even, we're going to see that it is a psalm of ascent, even contained within this one psalm, as we're going to start in this really bottom, 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 dark place. Into the beginning of this psalm. And the psalm is going to send up, even within Psalm 130, to the heights that I hope of grace and, and mercy and peace with God we're going to hear about today. And lead us right to this table you see here before me today. Well, from something really serious like that to the TV show The Voice. who has ever seen The Voice before? TV show, really popular. I know a lot of you have seen it because it's one of the most popular shows on TV and has been. I see some thumbs up even out there for the last um, five, six years or so. Millions tune in every week, right, to watch these timid, these hopeful contestants stand before critical judges who are watching or who are listening actually. Uh, listening to them sing and perform. Not to mention, as I said, the millions of people watching on TV as they sing out with their voice, seeking approval, seeking applause, seeking recognition, maybe fame, a host of reasons. You, I, you would go on a show like that. I don't know why, but there's a host of reasons. You would put yourself through that. Standing there alone on that stage with their only their voice, their voice, waiting and asking as they sing, do I, do I measure up? Do I measure up? to what these judges are hoping for. And millions of us watch, asking as we watched as well, do they measure up? We ask the same question. What will the judges say? Will they be approved? Will they be absolutely dismissed off the stage? It's kind of a metaphor for the human life, the fallen, sinful world, the need to matter, the need to seek approval the need to, to, to measure up. We stand sometimes there feeling inadequate, as if there were judges with their backs turned to us, wondering what will they say, what will we hear, what will we, that we face when they turn around finally? Will they love my voice? It's a picture even, too, of kind of Judgment Day. The singers stand there, isn't it? It's a metaphor for our psalm today as well, and the human condition. You know the human condition. Of striving for significance, for meaning, for security. You know those feelings. They're in your heart, too. You ever ask yourself the question or hear that voice in your head do, do I measure up? Do I measure up? This morning, we're going to look to the psalmist as he uses his voice, his voice to find mercy, to find security in the only place, the only place now, and from the only one, it can be found. And we're going to hear three voices, three answers to find the answer to that question. Each one of us is going to help us ascend in hope, in joy, and finally in assurance today. And I hope and I pray in the worship of Jesus Christ. That's our ultimate goal this morning. A life of transformation. So, Grab your outline. Do you have it? Hopefully, you got it open there to look at. We're going li- to listen to three voices today to help those of you who like to take notes as we learn. Hopefully, you've got your text open as well to Psalm 130, the life-giving, living word of God today. As we hear the first voice, as I said, it's a dark one. It's a dark one. The voice of despair. It's the one from the pit. It's the one from the valley. Maybe it feels like your voice today. The voice. Of despair, the voice of despair. Listen to verses 1 to 2 again. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Mercy. This psalm has been called a, a beggar's petition. Y- you kind of get that, don't you hear those verses? It's kind of like a begging. Hear me. What we see here. The psalmist cries out in a voice, his voice, and he says, Hear my voice. Hear my voice. And you can see and even hear in those verses that he knows his voice, his performance, his personal record won't measure up. Won't measure up. So he just, he just cries out. He just cries out, the psalm says. I just cry out to you in this dark, deep canyon of despair. I cry out. He's praying, really. He's praying from the worst of places. From the worst of places. As you hear his voice and you think about that, you get this sense of of, of terror, of isolation, of kind of floundering there. And he realizes, there is nothing I can do. There's no way I can help myself. And so he cries out. He just cries out. Psalm 69 kind of fills out this imagery for us a bit. Save me, O God. The waters have come up to my neck. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. As you think of that, the pictures I saw this week. Imagine being in the second story of your house and it coming through the front door. You better get upstairs and all of a sudden it's a little higher. You better stay upstairs higher. Finding yourself trapped on your second story with water completely engulfing your bottom floor. Uh, That's a place of despair, isn't it? You can get that sense from that word, the rising waters. The rising waters sound like a great place to be. The depths is what Psalm 130 calls it. The depths. He is really, wherever he's at, whatever was going on during this writing, he is in the lowest of low places. How many of you have been there? Maybe right now. You're like, That's me today. That is me today. I have a voice of despair today. There are times when I've gotten to those places. We have them. Life is peak. It's, it really it is a series of peaks and valleys, isn't it? You live long enough, long enough, you will hit many valleys the longer you live. But peaks too. There's times in some of those low places, dark places, the depths, and I've allowed where I've done this. I've allowed my, the circumstances itself, or the emotions of that situation, or maybe the lies that the enemy wants to tell me in those darkest moments where we are most vulnerable, God doesn't want to hear you right now. He doesn't want to hear from me right now. In this place, with what I've done, and where I've come from, and who I am, and with the l- lack of hope I even have right now, He doesn't want to hear me. And I've told myself that. You've messed up too much. You know what, Jeff? You've got to pull yourself up a little bit. Kind of clean up your act. Get a few uh, successes under your belt, right? Then, you know, then you can start to kind of reestablish that relationship. Then you can start to reestablish that communication with God. Have you been there? Yeah. It's like the faces on those shows like The Voice or those other performance kind of based reality shows when they finally hear their verdict and it's not a good one. The crushing weight of all that inadequacy, all those hopes and dreams and everything that they had resting on this one opportunity falls down on them and their biggest fears have been realized and they walk off the stage sometimes head in hand crying, sinking kind of even deeper into the depths? Not here. Not here. The psalmist never stopped praying. Even in the darkest depths, the deeper he sank. What does he do? He prays. He prays from the pit. You can't sink deeper to get out of the depths. But you can pray to rise up again, to come out of it. And that's what he does. He never ceased praying. He never stopped. The darker it got, the more he prayed. When we are in the depths, you and I, life's trough or valley, that is the very place where courageous faith says, like the psalmist here, I cry out to you. Hear me. Listen to me. Give me mercy. It's from those places that a courageous faith steps forward and says, I know I'm in a dark place. I know I've messed up, but I'm not heard on my own merit. I'm heard on Christ's merit. And so you pray out out of the depths. And some of you know that even those deep places can bring about some of the deepest, most heartfelt, devoted prayers. Don't we know that? Sometimes we go to those places, our prayer life is richer than it's ever been, and that's good. That's what we need. Prayers that say, like the psalmist, if you hear me, that's enough. I, ju- I just need you to hear me. I just need you to hear me. And that's what God promises. He will hear you. He always hears you. That's what He promises. I'll hear you. Imagine now this one. Imagine, though, if He, if he promised to hear and always answer the way we wanted. Even... <laughs> he, yeah right some of you are giggling even from the depths right i mean that's what i want though and that's not that what you want when you're in those hard places just just give me what i want god hear me but also give me what i want but actually it's kind of a mercy because that would be a- like placing the weight of god on our own shoulders if every prayer was answered the way we want way too much pressure excruciating pressure way too much responsibility on our shoulders and it would bring anxiety overwhelming, probably even helplessness. Everything I say would be answered. Too much pressure to always pray right. The psalmist just cries out, hear me. Hear me. Hear me. He hears our desires. But the psalmist is saying, that's enough. That is enough. That he hears, that he even hears. To trust him and cry out to the desires of our heart, He hears. And he will answer, won't he? He will answer. It may not always look like the way we hope or think, but his answer, if he is God, if he is a control, if he loves us and sovereign over all things, will be his best answer, will be our best answer. But the reality here for the psalmist in this depth, it's co- sort of a unique one. It's a specific one. The reality for him here, he is sensing and experiencing the deep grip of sin. That's what's going on here? The deep grip of sin, the deep effects of sin on his life. How do we know that? What does he cry? Have mercy. Have mercy, he says. Have mercy. And it's at that moment, when he comes to the end of himself, that a different voice shows up, not just the voice of despair. But a different one shows up. And isn't it like that with all of us? When we finally reach the end of ourselves, who is there? God. God is there. We finally come to the end of our own resources, our own merit, our own credit, our own smarts, our own whatever. He's there. And God is the one we need. It's our second voice, the voice of hope. His voice of despair begins to ascend. Remember we said we're ascending this entire way today to a voice of hope. A voice of hope. You know, diamonds, some of them have them on rings or wear them around earrings, or in earrings, around necklaces, on on our hands. Diamonds are the most precious, valuable stone. But where are they formed? Diamonds are formed sometimes in some of the deepest parts of the earth, aren't they? Way deep down in the earth. There's a lot of pressure and and a lot of of weight and the overlaying of rock bearing down so that the combination of that high temperature – And high pressure was the very thing necessary to grow a diamond, something beautiful, something valuable, something something cherished. Isn't it possible that in those depths, in those valleys, in those moments, you and I have been cast into those depths to find the deep diamond of forgiveness, the deep diamond of Christ, as we come to the end of ourselves, the pressure and the weight and the bearing down, it somehow changes us and transforms us to look away from us and to God. That's what it does. That's what's happening to the psalmist here. And it's where he finds God himself. And all of a sudden, the voice turns from despair to hope. To hope. Because we realize that God is doing something. We may not even know in the middle of it, right? You might not know what he's doing, but he's doing something because I'm crying out to him. He's he's at work. Look at verses 3 through 6 with me. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. You know, you hear that verse 3 there as I just read, if you marked iniquities, who could stand? You might say, well, that doesn't sound very hopeful. If you could mark iniquities, or if you did, who who would stand? If you would mark our sin, who could stand? He's under the weight of his sin there, isn't he? He's under the weight of it. He's speaking really of the final judgment day there, that final judgment day, and thinking, God, if the only way you judge is by our own works, we're in trouble. We are at absolute mess. No one's voice will be accepted with you, if that's the way. He sounds a bit like Paul here in Romans 3.10 when Paul said, no one is righteous. No, not one. That's pretty absolute, isn't it? No one. Twice, he says. No, not one. You might hear that. See, that I mean, that sounds... That kind of sounds a bit harsh. A bit harsh. No one being able to stand. No one's good or, or righteous, you know. I, I know some pretty good people. That doesn't sound like that describes me. Let's play that out a little bit. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're having that, you're wrestling with it. That sounds a bit harsh. Let's think about this for a minute. I mean, even if God were to say to us, let's hypothetically play that out. All right. You know what? You, maybe you didn't know my word. Maybe you knew it, but you didn't believe the word that was my word, the Bible. Or you thought maybe my standards were a bit too high. So here's what I'll do. I'll just uh, judge you according to the standards that you've had, that you've said out loud even, that you've had for others. So I won't even judge you to my standards. I'll just judge you according to what you have said about others, the way you expect them to live, that you've said, and all of a sudden you realize there was a tape recorder around your neck that's been going for all of your life, right? Or I guess a digital recorder nowadays, the little tiny thing, right? Hanging around your neck. And God says, well, let's take that, let's, let's play it back, and I'll just hold you accountable for the standards that you had brothers, not even mine. Who could stand? Who could stand? Which one of us? And then comes probably the most beautiful word in the entire Bible. But, tiny word, isn't it? But, think about that for a minute. All of a sudden it turns on a dime there. But, who could stand? Who could stand? No one. But, but with you, there's forgiveness. With you, there's forgiveness. It turns there. Just like that. Without that little word, we are lost. Thank God for, but. There. But with you, there's forgiveness. Without that little word and what it leads to and what comes after that, no one could stand. Well, in fact, God does know what we've done, doesn't he? It's not as if God really doesn't know what's happened in our life or that he doesn't actually know our iniquities, our sins. He does. He he does know them. He just doesn't treat us as we deserve when we come to Christ. But with you, he says, there's forgiveness. And we continue that ascent out of the depths with that voice of hope. But with you, there is forgiveness. What's he doing here? He's really just confessing his sin to God. He's confessing his sin. Confessing that his only hope, the forgiveness that he has, is found in God. It's a time of confession for him. A time of humbling himself before God. He owns his sin, and he takes it, and he, and he just gives it over to God. But with you, there's forgiveness. Because of, and only because of, God's provision, the sacrifice in Jesus Christ, the psalmist can say this even before Christ has come, as he awaited his Redeemer. But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. That's weird, isn't it? We're putting those two words together. Think about that for a minute. With you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. It's really kind of a strange pairing of words. It's strange, but it actually happens multiple times in the Bible. Forgiveness and fear there, really closely linked. I mean, I thought forgiveness meant acceptance. Yeah, acceptance, and because Christ paid for my sin, and, and freedom, and, and love. Why would it make me fear? Why would it make you fear? I mean, isn't fear, dread, a, a, and terror, and a kind of fear, like maybe almost like verse 1, from the depths? Well, yes, it can be that kind of fear, like the fear of verse 1. But this is entirely different here, what's going on. When he says, I, you're forgiving and I fear. This is entirely different kind of fear even. When you see and grow in your understanding of who God is, his greatness, his holiness, his majesty, his glory, when you grow in that, something happens. How many of you ever played those games at the fair? Maybe we have one at the, at the fair here. Do we have one of these this year, the strength games, where you hit it and it kind of hits and all of a sudden it kinda, the thing goes up and bing, it hits the bell at the top. Who's ever gotten the top? Anybody? Oh, we need to work out. Nobody in here. Nobody. Oh, we have one. Good. Yeah, those games at the fair, the county fair, those strength games that you play that test your strength, the hammer game, you hit the lever, it shoots up the little weights up to the bell at the top of the scale of strength, Right? Weaker, stronger, weaker, stronger. You measure your strength to see who's the strongest on that scale. Sometimes that is how we think of God. Just at the top of that one big grand scale. He, he, we're here and somewhere on this scale and he's somewhere at the top of that scale. Kind of just a better, a better version of, of us, really. A better version of us. He's just the one at the top of the scale. Just the strongest of the strong, the best of the best, the top of the scale. And in his in reality, in his holiness, he says, I'm not even on the same scale as you. I'm nowhere on that scale. In his holiness, and his greatness, he says, yes, I made you like me, but I'm not like you at all, actually. I'm not even on the same scale in his holiness. That's what it means, his holiness, his greatness. And when we grow in our understanding of that as the psalmist did and we see that we also, if he's that great, and yet we can draw into a relationship with Christ and be forgiven, he says there, and be forgiven, the result is awe, Reverence. That's the fear he's got here. You're that great and yet you forgive? You're that far off of our scale, and yet I can come near you, knowing my iniquities, knowing the weight of my sin because of Jesus Christ? That's the kind of fear. That's the connection of fear and forgiveness. It's actually hopeful. It's relational. It's worship in that moment. It's worship. And think about it. The psalmist here he didn't even have a clear picture of how God would take care of his sin, really, through Jesus Christ. But we do. We're post-cross. We're, we're post-resurrection. We have a clear picture. Jesus Christ. And when we repent, when we confess, when we come and own our own stuff, our sin, and trust in his payment, we can draw near this God who is off the charts we can come near him. He doesn't count them against us. And you will stand before him on Judgment Day. But you'll stay standing, basked in the glory of Christ, in his work, in fear, in awe, in reverence, but a fear that's full of sonship, daughtership, father before us. You will stand. You'll stay. You won't be dismissed. You'll stay psalmist could not have known Jesus yet, but he had a faith and a forgiving, loving, gracious God, and he knew it from God's Word. Take a look at Psalm 321 that was quoted in Romans 4-7. Blessed is those, is the one, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is, is, is covered. So he knew that. He knew in some way his sin would be forgiven. His sin would be covered. Even all the way back in Exodus, God says, I'm a gracious God, a forgiving God slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquities. He said it there, too. It's always been God's primary, put himself forward, forgiving, loving God. And so he hoped in the word. And he waited for the Lord. He waited to be, to be lifted out of that pit. He waited for his Redeemer to come. Like we're kind of waiting for him to come, too, again. To come back to earth for a second time. And isn't that what a true understanding of God's holiness and our forgiveness causes us to do, is to patiently, hopefully, wait. Because we know He's got us. The timing might not look like our timing. The answer might not look like the answer you want. But we patiently wait. Whether it's for God to change our circumstances in that pit or for him to come back and fully, finally redeem us. That's how the gospel works. That's gospel-centered thinking. That's gospel-centered theology. We patiently wait. We patiently bear with the offenses of others. We patiently extend forgiveness when somebody wrongs us because we've been forgiven of so much. That's how the gospel works. Maybe your spouse this week said something unintentionally or maybe more likely intentionally, right? We were there too. We had moments. Even this week, we stepped on each other's toes or said something hurtful, and you're bitter. You just want to hold on to that grudge, and you just won't forgive. It's when you go, but with you, there's forgiveness. It softens your heart to the other. But with you, there's forgiveness. I mean, I work so hard on that project at work. And that always happens. I'm the one that does the work, and -and so-and-so gets the credit, and my boss never even sees it, never knows. I'm never working that hard again. I'm just not going to do it. But with you, there is forgiveness. Or how dare she say that to me? We're never inviting her again to, to, to Bible study, to dinner, to coffee, whatever it is. But with you, there is forgiveness. That's how the gospel works how it transforms us right from the inside out and isn't that the best kind from the inside out it's the voice of hope, the voice of the gospel the hope of forgiveness here calling us out of ourselves out of ourselves to forgiveness to God's great forgiveness of us, that's what that verse turns but with you Where's the church Bethany think for a moment Think about this. We have this to offer to the world. But with you, there's forgiveness. We have this to offer to the world. It's much grander than all the fame a voice stage can give anybody. But with you, there's this forgiveness. I want to be a place. I know you do too. To be a place that offers that, that celebrates that, that shouts together, Bethany Church, with one voice, but with you, right? We can do that together. If we believe it individually, we can do it together, but with you. Comes forgiveness, which means hope, which means trust, which means patient waiting. Even what looks like sometimes the darkness of night, we wait like those watchmen because they know what's coming. What's coming? The dawn. The dawn is coming. The watchman knows. The voice of despair here turns into the voice of hope. Finally, to the voice of assurance here for our final voice today. The voice of assurance. Think of how the psalm started. And then hear these words, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What a fantastic closing. When it started in this pit of despair, even. The diamond's been found there in the deep, hasn't it? The diamond has been found in the deep. And the voice now that was in the, the bottom of the pit is standing on the top of the hills, singing out, Hope in God, plentiful redemption. He will redeem. The top of the hills. From the bottom of the pit. Hope and mercy because, I love that phrase there, plentiful redemption. I don't want just a little redemption. How about you? A little? How about a quarter? about half? about three quarters? No, I want all. And that's what he's saying. Plentiful redemption there. Save me all, God. Save me all. Not just my past, not just my present, but past, present, future, and everything in between, right? Plentiful redemption, he says. With us, there's sin. There is. There's worry. There's anxiety. There's self-righteousness. I can stand. There's no hope there. There's not a lot of hope there. With God, there's hope. These final verses say and give us absolute assurance. He will redeem. He will redeem. There's no deliverance found anywhere else but in Christ. Let everything else go today. Let it go. I'd rather be in the trenches with the psalmist, holding on to the diamond, waiting for God, knowing I'm a sinner, knowing I'm a a savior, than on the highest peak boasting in my own voice. Would you? I hope so. With a false righteousness or a false security, When even in the trench you can hold the diamond? What might it look like for you today if you haven't trusted Christ yet? What might that look like for you? There's a prayer coming up on the screen. These words, as you see these words, they're not magic words. Just by saying these words doesn't make something magic necessarily happen. But if you see those words today, and it's expressing something that is actually really going on in your heart, God, I come to you today as the one who's realized today that my voice, my own personal record, will not stand up to you or your holy judgment. I need the blood of Christ, the payment of the cross to cover my sin, to give me hope, to give me life. Today, I confess my sin to you and turn to faith in Jesus so that I too, like the psalmist, may find, there's that word, plentiful redemption and hope in God. It's not magic in and of itself, but if that's what's going on in your heart today, and those words are what you can express sincerely, then you too today can come to Christ, and come to know Him, and come to also say, but with you there's forgiveness, and I've got it, I've got it. And for those of us who are here, who have trusted already, we're like the watchman, we're like the watchman. We know you've trusted. You're waiting. Waiting for the morning. Waiting for that sunrise. Waiting for Christ's return. That's what we come to the table today to, to do again. To fill our waiting with hope. Because we get to come to the one voice who said it's finished, don't we? That's the voice you want. It's finished. And that's what this table shows us it's finished. Huntingful redemption's been done. It's here. It's right in front of you. What Christ did at the cross, we now today get to celebrate and take again in faith and know I'm safe. I'm secure even if I'm in the pit. He is mine. The diamond is mine. That's what this table is going to represent. This. So I want us to have a moment of silence, a moment of our own confession as we just saw that beautifully laid out in the Psalm today. Maybe it's the first time today for you. The first time in that prayer is your heart. But as we come to Christ again today, too, we all need this, don't we? We live a life of repentance and faith, don't we? That's the trough in the hills. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Let's spend a time there. Just silently as we prepare for uh, communion and then we'll have our, our deacons pass out the elements. Let's take some time in quiet repentance and prayer. Heavenly Father, with you there is plentiful redemption. With you there is forgiveness to be found. With you there is mercy. And so God, we come to this table today embracing by faith again the the work of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, Lord. Give us fresh faith today. Give us eyes to see that we wait the dawn that is certain, that is sure because of his resurrection. So this table shows us, Lord, to prepare our hearts to take together again as one body, as one community, as one voice of faith in Jesus Christ. In His name we pray.